so my name is Beth Kenman. Um, I'm a mum. Got my little baby girl, my husband Joel, and um, and Noah's with his grandparents. Um, so yeah, I actually I just had something I want to say quickly um, in regards to the music and how you said you know you don't want it to be a performance. And for me, I just feel like let loose up there because just like you know if you feel like jumping around and screaming at the top of your lungs like go for it and if we feel like doing it we can do it too and if on our mind if we're thinking this seems like a performance like that's on us you know that's on us to be saying actually it's not a performance and I'm here and I'm in God's world you know so I just wanted to encourage you because that was awesome and never play that down you know yeah yeah um I also just want to have a quick shout out for my life group because I just like um, love having fellowship and sometimes I find it really hard to get to church on a Sunday having two littlies with their naps and their feeding and all the rest of it or if I do I'm like up in the crash um, so we meet every second Thursday and if you're a mum um, it doesn't really matter what age your kids are um, yeah we meet and I just encourage you to get in contact with me come see me and it's, yeah, it'd be really nice to you know I just love hanging out with Christians and um, and that's one way I find it's really um, good for me is just to meet people on, on a regular basis so um, I've been a Christian for about 10 years, and before that, I would say I was a really strong atheist. It's kind of funny how God brought me to know him, and it's like I had to go onto the other side of the fence to then come onto the right side of the fence. I don't know if anyone else can relate to that, but I just had all these questions around God and, yeah, and all the crazy stuff that happened in the Old Testament and the wars that had happened in God's name. That's a lie. And, um, and I had to kind of like really believe those thoughts and for someone to say, I can see that you're a real atheist, but have you ever read the Bible? And it was like, no. <laughs> and it was like, it's really funny that you're so strong in your opinions against God, but you've actually never like read about him. And, um, and for me, it was like, oh, yeah. And slowly, one by one, I had all these questions about what God should be like and that he was wrathful and that he created wars and all the stuff that happened in the Old Testament. And when I came to found Jesus, I realized that he was completely unfallible. No one ever said ever, look at that Christian, we hate them, they're just loving on everyone. And no one ever said, you know... Man, that flower, that sucks. And, um, yeah, I mean, when, when I learned about Jesus, completely other-centered love for other people and that it was completely boundless and that it was full of grace and that any rules or any boundaries put in place are completely for us, out of his love for us. You can't fault any of that. And, um, and for me when I hear a sermon, if it doesn't mention Jesus or talk about Jesus, I think to myself, I wonder what that looks like through the lens of Jesus. And that's how we should be all reading the Bible. You know, if, baby girl, um, (laughs) you know, if if we read something in the Bible and we go, that's kind of weird and that doesn't really make sense. And we have to look at Jesus and we look through the lens of Jesus because the Old Testament, God had to put like lots of boundaries in place for us um, because we weren't that we needed them and we just found loopholes and he would just make more rolls and we'd make find more loopholes and we just did some dumb stuff. And um, for me, the Old Testament's own, only purpose is for us to find Jesus and for us to learn about Jesus. And, um, and it was like, it was so messed up, the Old Testament, 
that God was like, oh my gosh, look here. Look here. Here's Jesus. Look at him. And he walked out a completely human life, full of God, and now we know how to act. So when I was asked to speak, like that was my real thing. Like I'm excited about Jesus. And, and the term God means only so much to me until we hear and talk about Jesus. Um, and so that was my main thing. And I'm not even really looking at my notes. I just went on a little spiel. Um, and the thing that... <laughs> and Jacinda knew I'd do this. Um, <clears throat> and so for me, I, I wanted to talk also a little bit about worship. And the last song was about worship, which is pretty cool. For me, my worship is in the garden these days. I'm a big gardener. I've got four chickens. probably spend as much time with my chickens as I do with my kids. <laughs> and when my kids are happy, I just stand outside with my cup of tea like watching my chickens. There's, I've got a baby chicken at the moment, and, um, and she's like at the bottom of the pecking water, so I always like sneakily let her out of the pen and like hand feed her somewhere. You know, like I'm really into my garden. Um, for me, being here talking to you guys, I don't know if you experience it, <clears throat> You can kind of see yourself from outside of yourself. And like, there's me, there's the real me, looking down going, whoa, you're talking to all the kind of these people. That's kind of weird. And then there's me in my mind, you know, talking. And for me, when I get to go into the garden, it's like that me, that real me, is like just being present and just being real and I can hear my thoughts. And it's funny, sometimes my thoughts are like replays of movies. Or maybe my thoughts are like um, like negative. Or maybe maybe they're like arguing about something. It's really weird. Try to listen to your thoughts sometimes if you don't do it on a regular basis. <clears throat> and um, and I, when I'm in my garden, I have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I just feel like I'm patient and I'm kind and I move a little worm out of the way if I'm putting something in the garden, and I just feel like love. And for me to go, you know what, that's where I am at the moment, and that's where Jesus has brought me in, and that's where I feel the Holy Spirit and give myself permission for that. Um, you know, we were created in the garden, humans, and Jesus is going to restore us to that place, I believe. Um, and a garden for me is like a place where... God has created this, all this cool stuff. Like, I don't create the seed or the flower or anything. And then, like, I'm there and I get to, like, choose where the flower goes. And so it's like where I get to create something and God gets to create something together and we can walk together, you know. And I really believe that we're going to come back to this place of um, the garden, in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, and when I'm, when I'm in my garden, I'm like, man, everyone should do this. <laughs> like, everyone should just come and hang out and garden at my house. And we don't have to talk. We can just move worms out of the way or give them to the chickens, which I also do, which is kind of weird. <laughs> um, you know, Jesus said that one would come that's even greater than him, and that's the Holy Spirit, and we all get to feel the Holy Spirit. And I think that um, there's lots of people that feel the Holy Spirit that's not, and they haven't actually heard about Jesus. Or they've heard about bad God, but they haven't heard about the, the good stuff that Jesus has. And... Um, and I really think that God is in a lot of things that sometimes we can breeze over. Um, he's in creation. And he is in our stewardship of creation. He is in our stewardship over animals. And um, I have people in my life that just absolutely love animals. 
and they've been told by Christians, all those animals are for us and we can do whatever the heck we want with them. And for someone that has a passion, which I believe is the Holy Spirit, saying, actually, I love animals, to hear that, well, she's going to be put off God for the rest of her life. Thank you, Christian. Now she doesn't get to hear about God and, and walk with God, although I believe she does, you know, in her own way. And I just think it's so cool that the Holy Spirit can go, it doesn't actually really matter what we say, because he still affects her. This is my sister, and she's a vet. And she just does absolutely everything for animals. The other day, she ripped off her glove, her silicon glove, put it over a lamb's face, and gave it the CPR. Probably first one in the world to do that, I imagine. She said she got a mouthful of mucus, and this lamb lived. Um, she is just the most incredible person. She just drove down to the Coromandel yesterday to see the pig guy down there and offered a spade all his pigs. I don't know if you've seen him on documentaries and stuff. He got, he's got about 150 pigs. She was like, oh, it's got to stop. So she went down there and offered to spade them all. Um, I never free time. She's just the most incredible person, you know, and God, Holy Spirit talks to people that care about the planet and the Holy Spirit talks to people that care about animals and the Holy Spirit talks about stuff to people that haven't heard about Jesus. And I think it's really cool if we can say, you know what, I think that might be God. And you know that really cool thing in your life? I think that that's God. Because they already know that it's good. They already know that it's love. That already resonates them because they were created in God's image. And so we can say, I think that that might be God. And we can just leave that. And if they have questions, they can come back. There's this cool um, thing that I really like in, in, the, in Acts, and um, Paul goes into Athens, and he like sees all these different idols, and they were just worshiping lots of stuff. And there's this one pillar, and on it it says to the unknown god. And Paul said, you know, Paul kind of gets in trouble as they always do, and ends up talking to the to the leaders of this area, and um, he says, I know who that god is. That pillar that you, you say is to the unknown God, I know that God. I think you're partly worshipping that God. And what a cool place to start from, to evangelise. You know, you've, you've already met the Holy Spirit. He was here before me. And I think that thing you're doing is really, really cool. And if we do that, if we go out and we love people, you know, like, I know recycling's in vogue and, you know, stainless steel straws, they're in vogue. And, like, we're not all going to go and buy stainless steel straws. Um, but I think it's cool if we see someone that's excited about the environment, like, God is too. And if they're excited about animals, God is too. And we can say, excited about people, of course, duh, God is too. And we can just say to them, you know what, I know who that is in you, and that's Jesus. That's what I want to say. I'm done. <laughs> Very cool. Thanks, Sam. So uh, our next speaker, I can't see where she is. There she is. Come on up, Caitlin. Give her a warm welcome. So I realised that I'd forgotten to actually say that um, all three of our speakers, uh, this is actually still part of our series where we've been looking at Simply Jesus. Hence, there's lots to talk about Jesus. Uh, which we tend to do anyway. But uh, but the question that was asked for each of these guys is, what is why does Jesus matter to us? And so so you're going to hear different reflections on that. And I should have said that before, but I forgot. So anyway, Caitlin, how you doing? 
Very well. Awesome. Why don't we pray for you and then I'll hand it over. So, Lord, I want to thank you for Caitlin. I thank you for the passion that you've placed within her for other people and for the betterment of people's lives. And I ask, God, that now as she shares what you've uh, placed in her heart and her mind as she's worked on this, Lord, I pray that you just bless her with your presence and your peace and you'd enable her to give away what you've given her. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so good morning, everyone. As introduced, my name. Good morning. <laughs> As introduced, my name is Caitlin Watson, and I have the opportunity to share a few words with you today. Um, so I'm very stoked to be able to say that I've been a part of the family, the community here at Coast Vineyard for just over a year now. Um, and furthermore, I'm a very proud, born and bred Coastie, and I think we've got a pretty cool community um, on the wider community on the coast, also. Um, but before I get into it, I just want to quickly acknowledge the previous speaker. Oh, she must have, not Sand, she must have gone, um, for the empowering word that um, she has imparted to us today. So thank you for that, Sam, wherever you are. Um, alrighty, okay. So just if we have the slides up, that would be great. Thank you. Okay, so you may have heard of this expression, um, this term called white noise. Um, this term, white noise, is a colloquialism that describes a backdrop of ambient sound creating an indistinct commotion. Um, and, okay, no worries. Um, and I was going to get a little sound clip to play that, but I don't think that's possible today. So um, the actual sound wave white noise is like what you get on a TV screen, and you know the shh sound, and it goes, yeah, everyone's on the same page. Okay, good to hear that. Um, so that's white noise, and I believe that we're increasingly living in a world that is filled with this white noise, and um, just so much constant commotion underlying um, our society, and exponentially so, I believe, as compared to the society that Jesus lived in. And um, today we will look at how various forms of this white noise are bidding for the space in our hearts and in our minds. So this leads me to my first point, which is Jesus was not distanced by distraction. So if we're to look towards Jesus' example, we see in Matthew 4 that he went out into the desert for 40 days, and in that time he spent with his father praying and meditating. And in that time that Jesus was in the desert, Jesus faced distraction from the devil. Now this distraction is a powerful tool that the enemy can use to try and throw us off course and off the path that God has intended for us. But we see Jesus, I was going to have a verse on the screen, but that's okay, you can check it out in your own time later on. Um, we see that Jesus, while he did not have a bar of this distraction, he was well equipped with the power of God's word um, to combat the schemes and manipulation of the devil. And a quote from Lisa Vivier sums this up. Um, this relation to our society quite nicely. She says this, Satan has made it his aim to distract you from who you really are and what the purpose of your life truly is. So keep this thought in mind. And now coming back to this white noise, a form in our society that I believe can stall us from becoming who we really are is actually idle distraction. And this, I believe, can be the biggest inhibitor of fulfilling purpose in God. And it can come in many different forms. But I believe a pertinent example for our society, and particularly our generation today, is the white noise that can come through social media. Um, and this can blur your vision and additionally lure you into mindlessly using your time. And I mean, it seems harmless, but we have to ask ourselves whether the use of it is fulfilling indeed a good purpose. And I say this 
because we have a challenge to not let the white noise distract us from the program that God has called us to live out. Alrighty, so coming back to Matthew 4, um, we see that instead of Jesus putting his faith in his feelings and falling to Satan to try to lure him into all these different spaces, um, things such as hunger or self-satisfaction, or um, trying to make him perform this spectacular feat and therefore leading him into us. Ooh, here we go. I would just go back a bit. That would be great. There we go. Matthew 4, everyone. Thanks, sound team. Um, so that's Matthew 4. So underline what I've just been talking about. So hunger, self-satisfaction, um, whether it be into egoism or even materialism and trying to lure him into the promised um, goods of this world and the wealth that can come from that. But instead, we see that Jesus, he was steadfast in his faith, in God and the purpose that he knew and which he was called out according to the written word of God. And again, coming back to our society, um, a lot of our decision-making processes today is centered on this notion of appeasing our feelings. And feelings which can actually be quite deceptive at times and can distract us from God's purpose. On the other hand, though, we see that putting faith in God can propel you forward into the promised land of growth and opportunity and extending the boundaries of his kingdom on earth. Therefore, a challenge exists to not only have the faith in Jesus as believers, but also having the faith of Jesus and the faith that Jesus exemplified in the desert. And fun fact, that's a photo of the Atacama Desert, which is the driest desert in the world. But I don't think that was the desert Jesus was in. Alrighty, so that brings me to point numero dos, which is take time out. So on the flip side, one of the things that we can actually be distracted by, believe it or not, is busyness. And this means not taking the time like Jesus did to go out into the desert. And it's easy to be consumed with busyness and to chase one's own tail, but this lifestyle is not sustainable. And I'm saying this from a place of personal experience. So I personally went this last year at a time when I fractured my ankle, um, had to have it operated on after falling off my skateboard. And um, not again, I'll tell you that. Um, and at this time, um, just before I'd fractured it, um, sorry, my apologies. Um, I was committing to this, that, and the next thing, thinking like, yeah, I can manage all these things. But Quickly, my schedule was becoming overwhelmed and overloaded, and in reality, it wasn't actually all that manageable. But from the space of being immobile, I learnt, or God taught me, of our fragile humanity, and that we cannot be superhuman. We weren't made to do it all, but instead that he is God, he is all known, and he is all present, um, and that we can't be, and we can't be in two places in once. It's it, that's the reality, and that's the way my schedule is kind of becoming with overlapping appointments. But it's it's not possible. And then furthermore, when I first met up earlier this year with my mentor Trish Manser, she's an incredible woman, I'll tell you that. Um, she told me that she had a word of, from God for me, and this word was saying that I was becoming like an octopus. And I was a bit taken back at that at first. <laughs> I haven't heard that one before. But an octopus in the sense that I was growing all these different tentacles. And, um, that, and at that point, I started tearing up a bit, realizing the accuracy of her comparison and that 
I was kind of becoming busy about, around my own business, but not necessarily coming before God and being confronted with his business. And ironically enough, this accident came just after Easter camp, which had the theme of pause, take some time. And I must say, I certainly was forced to pause my daily routine of life for a while whilst being glued to a couch. And from the space, I learned that God wants our attention so that he can point us in the right direction. And funnily enough, he ended up pointing me here to Coast Vineyard in that time, so that was pretty cool. But then, just the same as McDonald's is not going to be good for you, fast food faith is not going to be nutritious. And we need to learn to take time to spend with God free of distraction. And I must say, I'm still learning to grasp the art of avoiding the white noise so that I can be fully productive and living out God's program for me. And I'm grateful for God's grace and patience within that process. But just coming to sum up this point, I think Pope Francis articulates the fruits of downtime in God's society today in quite a neat manner. So this is what he has to say. To cut out a moment of silence with God every day is to take care of our soul. It is to preserve our freedom from the corrosive and banality of consumerism and the dizziness of advertising from the spread of empty words and from the overwhelming waves of chatter and noise. And I mean, you could pretty much substitute that last section for white noise if we're looking to make it appropriate. But coming back to Jesus, we see that he was hot on demand. Um, but he realized he needed to take out the time to stay connected to the vine um, so that he could produce a greater abundance of fruits. And that brings me to my third and final point. Refocus, refresh, and redirect. Oh, there we go. Sorry. I'll explain that in a second. <laughs> so for me, um, applying this in my life, this has looked like at the end of a busy day with work, uni, or what you have, not necessarily rushing home, but instead driving to the beach and having whatever circumstances of the day be transcended by the peace of God. And I must say, it really is a wonderful sensation being in the beauty of God's creation. And I mean, we live on the coast, right? And if my calculations are correct, I believe we have 13 beaches at our fingertips. So there's plenty of opportunity there. Or for, furthermore, it may look like we're all striving to places, turning off the radio, which can, a lot of white noise can sometimes be produced from the radio, am I right? Um, and instead being positioned in a place of prayer or in praise, and that really is perspective centering for what may be to come in the day. And then finally, so for this third opportunity, um, I'm on Auckland Council and I'm on the Hibiscus and Bay's local board, and I'm going to be honest with you today that sometimes I find being a young person in local politics can be quite demanding and not always that easy. And so there are times at meetings when I realise I need to take out the moment to refocus, refresh and redirect. And what better place to do that? And <laughs> so, so there's an the opportunity within a toilet cubicle that we all have access one um, to refocus and to reposition yourself under God. CEO. And it's actually bigger than us being focused just for the sake of it because we live in a hurting society where people and our spheres of life and our spheres of influence, whether that be family, friends or workplace, they need us to be in this place of focus, um, positioned before God. Um, 
and so that they can receive a slice of the greater abundance of fruits um, that come from being in this place of um, openness with God and the overflow that just comes from that. So just in coming to land, I want to finish on some words of Jesus. And Jesus himself has given us an open invitation to come to him. And the beauty of this invitation is that it is extended to us at all hours of day, even for the sacred moments spent on the toilet. <laughs> so these are the words from Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wow, it's good, isn't it? And we've still got one more. Dean, are you ready? Any second now. Well, you've seen Dean, but let's welcome him for the second time. Very cool. So Lord, I want to thank you uh, for Dean. I thank you for the passion that you've placed within him for you. Your love of you and your love of the church and his willingness to serve us as he already does. And I pray, God, that you'd bless him now, that you'd fill him again. As he's already poured himself out for us this morning, I ask that you'd refresh him and, uh, and just enable him to share uh, what you've given him for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Jacinda. It's awesome. Um, I'm going to get the stopwatch out. Uh, yeah. All right. Ooh, I almost lost that. Okay, so um, just want to say... Big thank you to Sam and Caitlin um, for what you guys brought. I love this. This is cool, right? Because it feels like I'm doing a TED Talk or something. But um, I love the fact that um, these guys come up here and they bring who they are. You know, they bring they bring their relationship, their their filters, their heart, and um, oh, it's just awesome. I just love hearing um, hearts, and I love hearing stories. Anyway. Um, I'm on the clock, so I'm, I'm moving on. Um, all right, so why? Well, first thing I want to do is say, yeah, Dean. My, my name's Dean. Um, my wife, Joe. Um, we have two boys, Ari and Mana, uh, 15 and 12, and we've been here for almost a year. It's hard to believe, but, but yeah, um, it's awesome. It's awesome to be here. Um, anyway, topic: Why Jesus matters. Um, what a topic! Far out. Uh, far out. <laughs> It's such a massive, massive question that could go anywhere. It's infinite. Um, but anyway, what I'm going to talk about is why Jesus matters. Um, first thing I thought about was that Jesus came not just to save us from our sins, but to be the gateway back to the Father. Um, and not just to the Father, but to his other Father. And uh, why is that important? So I want to talk about, a bit about that. So Father is Abba. All right, so when I talk about the word Abba, be honest, be honest, all right, come on. You thought Dancing Queen, I know it. Uh, but that's actually not what I'm talking about. Disappointment, I know. Okay, what I'm talking about here is what is the word Abba? What, what does it mean? In fact, it's, it's obviously it's a word that Jesus used, and it's also a word that Paul picked up on as well. Um, 
So let's explore that. So what is Abba? Abba is, is actually an Aramaic word. And according to Jewish, Jewish, uh, Jewish tradition, it stems from what might be called baby talk. So when a child is weaned, it learns to say Abba, or Dada, or Ima, which is Mama. Um, it's also translated in Scripture as Dear Father or Papa. Dear Father feels too formal. Man. It's, it's, I mean, you know, I think for the heart of it. Yeah, anyway, that's my, my thing. Um, so where is Abba used? So in the Bible, so let's talk New, New Testament first. Three times, three specific times. First one, Mark 14.36, Jesus is in the garden. So he's facing his most, he's facing the cross, right? So he's in this most anguished moment. He knows what's coming. And what he says is, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but you will, but what you, your will be done. The next scripture is uh, Romans 8.15. So this is Paul. Paul is saying, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 1, 7. Actually, I'm going to go from verse 4. Again, Paul picking up on a similar thing. But when the set time had fully come, this, this, these verses blow my mind. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. <laughs> born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Wow. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son, Jesus, into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God made you also an heir. All right, so... I'm going to go back to that a little bit later, but Old, Old Testament use. So Abba is never used in the Old Testament. Um, Jesus introduced the word Abba, okay? But in the Old Testament, God, God did reveal himself as Father. We don't have time to go into that, but if you guys wanted to look into it, just obviously just do a quick word search of Father in the Old Testament, you'll find there's a bunch of scriptures. But interestingly enough, Israel did not call God Father. In fact, due to the third commandment, which you know states, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain, they actually took that about three or four steps onwards, as they did, because they were so afraid of getting it wrong, that they actually stopped vocalizing and even writing the name of God. And uh, actually, what's so extreme, they started using the word Hashem, which means the name. So they did this out of reverence. They absolutely did it out of reverence, but it's weird. Like, they suddenly began to distance themselves, and it was out of fear. So, so let's pull this into the cultural context of what Jesus came into. So here comes Jesus, right? He turns up, and this is the landscape. The Jewish people have got to a point where they are so afraid of God, and so that they've, they've, they, don't even, they don't even, can't even say the name. In fact, today, 
today it's the same. They spell, when they write the name of God, they spell it like that. Or they spell it like that, Lord, like that. So they've got like an underscore. So Jesus comes in into the, into, into the world and he starts talking about his father. And he's all about the father, right? Like at 12 years old, he's in the temple and they come look, you know, his mum and dad are freaking out. He's gone missing. They come looking for him. He says, what are you doing? I'm in my father's house. He knew at the age of 12 that he was a son, who his father was. You know, he'd go out into lonely places, like Caitlin was saying. You know, he'd, he'd spend time with his father. The disciples said, teach us how to pray. He'd say, our father. He gets in the garden. The most, you know, we've just looked at it, the most moment of anguish. And the word, the first word that comes out of his mouth is Abba, Abba Father. And can you imagine that would have been like a bomb going off in, in Israel at that time? These people were freaking out. Like, you call, you call him Father, you're making yourself equal to him. It offended the people. He didn't care because he knew who, who he was. He knew who his father was. And he even went deeper. He went to Abba. So, anyway, so what? The Jesus calls God Abba, so what? Because I actually believe that names matter. What, how we address the people in our lives, the, you know, the, it matters, you know. Um, my kids, they kind of have me on sometimes. They like, they like to kind of, every now and again, they'll sort of call me Dean. Uh, they, <laughs> because I'd say to them, you know what, I'm your dad. Anybody can call me Dean, but you guys get to call me Dad. And you know what? That's a big deal. I, re- I care about that. I care about that stuff. Because they're my boys, and I'm their dad. So they don't call me Dean. <laughs> so they're like, hey, Dean, that's all good, you know. Um, but my youngest boy, and you probably hate me saying this. Please forgive me, my boy. There's this thing he does, and even to this day, like he's almost a teenager, but he, he, every now and again, he'll come up to me, and he'll say, Dad, I actually will come up and say, I love you, Dada. I love you, Dada. I say, Dada, I love you. <laughs> Why does he do that? Because he knows. He knows, that even at his young age, he knows there's something in that word that's just special. It's a sweet moment. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. And I'm telling you, that is what Jesus is doing in the garden. That is what Jesus is doing. That is what Paul's talking about in those moments. He's saying, he's going there. <laughs> I'm going to go there. He's going to that place of vulnerability, that intensity, that place of, you're my daughter. You know what I mean? Something in that. Anyway. Abba. Alright, so what is it? What's it just now we gotta call Abba? Call Dad Abba? Well like what what are you saying? What are you trying to say? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying like suddenly we, we don't call him Yahweh or God, we just gotta call him Abba. I'm not saying that. But I, I think what's really important, what's been important to me over the last few years, is that I think that it's it's maybe it maybe it's comprehending the intimate relational shift that Jesus is inviting us into. Because because that's what happened. 2,000 years ago when Jesus turned up and he started talking like this, it was revolutionary. Matt talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Jesus the revolutionary. That was absolutely revolutionary. 
because he was talking about an intimate relationship, and I think that that's the important part. And he's inviting us into it. Anyway, moving on real quick. So let's just quickly go back to Galatians 4. Sorry, yeah, Galatians 4, 4, because I think I want to finish with this. All right, so, but when the time set had fully come, God sent a son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an ear. What what I read, I, must, I think I've read this, I don't know how many times, man. But I was reading it this week and it really, really struck me. Didn't it? Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son, so the spirit of Jesus, into our hearts. Who calls out Abba Father? So it's like Jesus has been given to us. And we think about, you know, the Holy Spirit. Is us. Yes, the spirit of his son is the Holy Spirit. But actually, it's talking about Jesus and that's right. And what it's, Paul is actually saying is, is that that spirit that's been given to us, that's deposited to us, is actually crying out, Abba, Father. So we've got this, it's like we've got this thing going on. There's this cry, constant cry. And I think Jesus is, it's there. It's an invitation. And you know what? We can choose not to engage with it. But what I want to do is I want to acknowledge that it's there. There's a cry going on. And I feel like the Father saying, been saying to me, and maybe I'm encouraging all of us now, you need to hear that cry because it's going on. It's in you. It's been put in you. It's a deposit. It's saying you are a son. You have an inheritance. And you have an Abba. All right, I want to finish with this. So God, God the Father is through the Spirit of His Son placed a cry in our heart. For who? Abba Father. Why? Because I believe ultimately when we know that we know that we are truly embraced, completely and utterly accepted as sons and daughters by our Father, will we finally know true rest. Only in that place of true intimacy and vulnerability can we truly be redeemed and healed? So I think it's a massive deal. I think it's a massive deal. And it's actually scary, I know. I know it's, it's a Pandora's box for some people. It's a Pandora's box for some of us. Because we've had interesting times with our Father. But it's so important because that's why Jesus came. We can't get away from that. He came. He's a gateway to the Father. That's it. And I wonder whether some of us come to Jesus and we stop here. But actually, he was all about the Father. He was all about connecting with the Father. That's the Trinity. Anyway, am I there yet? Personally, it's a struggle. It's a struggle at times. I oscillate between sonship, slavery, orphandom, and I'm back to sonship. Sometimes all in one day, maybe even an hour, depending on the circumstances. It's true. And I'm sure a lot of us can relate, and I can hear you laughing, right? Because it's true. 
Sometimes we're like that. We're orphans sometimes. Sometimes we're, we're slaves. But the Father's saying, no, you are a son. You are a daughter. That's why he came. It's a fight, but it's worth the fight. And I reckon he's taken us back to the garden. Ultimately, he wants to redeem the relationship that we had with God and the Father in the garden. That's the, he's going back full circle. It's amazing. It's a fight, but it's worth the fight. Anyway, thank you. Thanks, guys.